1: What would you like the power to
0: do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSC.
1: Um, okay. Welcome back to Talking Knicks. It's been a little bit. The Knicks had a, had a nice little off-season. And so did and Knicks. We took the, the off-season off and we're finally back. Now we're, we're 2 pre-season, two preseason games into it. And I'm here with uh, my good friend Tom Piccolo and we're going to talk about the Knicks. So hey, Tom. Let's talk Knicks. So Tom, what's going on? How's the off season?
0: Hey Greg. It's it was really good. It was nice. I you know they call it an off season for a reason. We we really we really put the off and off season. We just we didn't talk Nick's once. yeah, I, mean, I guess we did a little bit off mic, but
1: uh, we did for the the draft you uh you did a little stuff about Kemba coming in so
0: yeah that's true that was the last time that was the last episode that was the morning before i believe it was the morning before i went away to montana so that feels like a long time ago um did a vacation at glacier national park had a great time I, i don't know if we've recorded since then either way um i'm actually i'm genuinely excited to be back. Like, I think I tweeted after the, like, at the beginning of the first preseason game, like you just hear Clyde and Breen on the broadcast and you're like, oh, this is nice. Like, this is comfortable. It just feels like very familiar and very homey. Like, I, I don't want to be doing anything else. I want to be listening to Breen and Clyde talk Knicks basketball. I want to watch Knicks basketball. So I'm just, I'm actually very excited for this season.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, and the Knicks, they exceeded expectations last year, and now they have even better players, so now there's, there's reason to be excited. Last year we came in, you know, with our partial negativity, thinking, you know, who is worse than the Knicks? The, the Detroit Pistons, is there anybody else? That's, that was the question at the beginning of the year last year. And now we're we're asking, is there anybody better than the Knicks? <laughs> and and the answer uh, is no.
0: The answer is pretty clearly no after the first two preseason games. Um, have you gotten a chance to check out any of the first two preseason games or any of the well, I, I, yeah any of the highlights?
1: I watched a, a good amount of the first one, and it was it was great. The Knicks just have a lot of good players, more so than uh, than i I've, I've ever seen it's just one through five and their starting lineup seemed like, like genuine basketball players. You know, you have the anchor of, of Taj Gibson because the, the two big men were injured, but the other four were just legitimate threats who have all, you know, or three of the four have averaged 20 points per game in a season before. And, and RJ has that, that potential as well. So.
0: RJ's on his it way. Looks and, good. And Taj, I mean, you know, who knows how much it matters. Like, I know there's all the caveats about preseason and all that, but like Taj has looked very solid. And so, I mean, granted the, the Knicks defense hasn't been, you know, quite as solid without your rim protection that you have with, with Noel and Mitch in there. But, uh, I mean, Taj holds his own, man. And, and offensively, I, and I think, you know, I'll keep referencing my tweets because that's what makes good podcasts. Last night I tweeted <laughs> Taj Gibson, like, through the – he did this short roll And through this like really nice pass to the opposite corner, you know, it just gets in the ball started to swing, swing. And then it was a wide open three. And it's like, that's just something in a pick and roll setting that, you know, you never see Mitch or Noel do, right? Like you don't see them catch the ball on a pick and roll, pivot to the opposite side and hit the man in the corner. And like, that's just something that Taj brings that the other two guys don't. Right. He's just like more skilled. He's a better passer. has more of a feel for the game. He's nowhere near, Mitch or Noel and rim protection and and just defensive, you know, versatility, but, uh, you know, there's that aspect of the game that he's really strong on. So I don't know, is, is there anything that's like immediately caught your eye other than you mentioned the depth? Are there any, is there anyone who's come in and like really wowed you from like a development standpoint or anything like that?
1: I mean, I, I, the one thing I would say watching the first preseason game was that Julius Randall was still, you know, Julius Randall from last season, and not Julius Randall from two seasons ago. Which, you know, we we all had hoped was going to happen. Um, I think you could you could you have to assume there's going to be some sort of regression. We we've talked about stats where he was taking like the most ridiculous shots and hitting an incredible incredibly high percentage, as we talked about in the playoffs. You know, his his go-to shot throughout the season was like a fadeaway out of bounds. <laughs> and then, then it, it, it stopped falling in the playoffs. But now you have uh, other better players to support him, and he's still hitting, knocking down the jumper. The jumper looks good still. So I'm, I'm wowed by Julius Randle continuing to be Julius Randle.
0: Yeah, it's funny that that uh, that fade away on the baseline that you're talking about, where he like made the most shots of anyone in the league last year. Like, that's a shot that you hit when you're in rhythm, and that's why in the playoffs when he just couldn't find a rhythm, it, that's not a shot you use to like find it. You know what I mean? Like, that is an extremely <laughs> high difficulty shot. So, um, you know, Randall, he only, he did not play uh, in the second preseason game. He just played the first one, and he finished with he was seven of fourteen from the field. Um, that's two of five from three, and he had 20 points to go along with nine boards, two assists. And like you said, I mean, he looked he looked really solid, like looked comfortable out there. Um, and that that's the biggest factor, you know. He is still the biggest factor of how the Knicks are going to, you know, the, just the level of success they're going to have this year. And so, to to your point, like last year, he was hitting kind of Dirk Nowitzki levels of mid range shooting. And I don't know how sustainable that is, but, you know, hopefully with more of the spacing around him with, like you said, more of the, the playmakers around him, his life should be a little bit easier. And so that, you know, even if he isn't knocking down contested 20 footers, you know, that's not going to, uh, to hurt his, his stats or his production too much.
1: Yeah. And So who was, who has been wowing you? Uh, I know, uh, we're big on, on the young guys, RJ and quickly, uh, that looked good so far. I don't know if you wanted to. You're going to have to talk about those two people, but you can. I mean, th-
0: those are definitely two two solid ones. I mean, RJ, he's uh he's hitting 50% from three through two preseason games. He's uh, he's 7 of 14. So he's, he's taking seven attempts per game. Just that volume you love to see, and that kind of dovetails with the greater point of the Knicks at large have just been launching from three. I think they attempted over 50 three point attempts the last game um which is yep. just insane against the wizards
1: yep 24 for 52
0: i mean that I, I would i don't have the numbers in front of me i would be shocked if they even t- attempted that many once in the regular season all last year like that's just an insane number so <laughs> you know, is that volume going to hold into the regular season maybe like everyone everyone just looks So comfortable and so confident, and there's none of that. Like you know, they're getting these threes up early in the shot clock, but that's okay because like that, oftentimes that's when the defense isn't quite set yet. That if you get an open three from Evan Fournier, from RJ Barrett, from Emmanuel Quickly, like those are probably the best shots you're going to get for the rest of the shot clock. You know what I mean? So uh, from a value perspective, so that yeah, RJ Barrett has just kind of been a good barometer for that that just green light mentality where everyone is launching from three everyone looks comfortable doing it and it is such a you know a difference maker when last year our point guard and Alfred Payton was not willing to shoot at all from three and now Kemba is taken about six per game through the two games and like just letting it fly and and I think everyone else is kind of taking their cues from the point guard as well and I don't know. Like the the three point shooting is is obviously the storyline that, that everyone's talking about at this point.
1: Yeah. And when you have a, a point guard who can who can get into the paint and finish and is a is a threat to shoot, that opens up everything for everybody. And plus you have a you've you've touched on this in your you did a video on it with Fournier coming in. Um you know, Bullock was was a knockdown shooter for us, but uh, last two seasons, Fournier has had has shot even better from three than than Bullock and he's a threat to put the ball on the floor. So you can't just, you know, you, you can't just guard him for the three because he can he can cut, he can pass, he can he can do it all. He's willing to move. So him and him and Kemba are changing the uh, the dynamic of of the, the starting five drastically. I mean, we, we you take out your two worst players. I'm, I mean, Bullock was good. Uh, but he was you know the weaker link as as it especially showed in the playoffs when you know you're you're as one dimensional as he was. I love the guy we talked about him being the glue of the Knicks, but if you can't put the ball on the floor then you're you're not gonna be able to to contribute what what you need to in the playoffs and you know fournier uh, he he gives the Knicks a new look, so
0: I mean you're not hiding tray on should the be able to,
1: yeah. Exactly. Or Kemba. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, true. Um yeah, I mean, those two guys, like you said, they've they've changed the entire dynamic of the offense and um and everyone's gonna benefit from it. Just the the level of spacing is gonna be there and and I think like I mentioned, Randall should benefit, but other guys will too. I mean Derek Rose has looked really good. He kinda tweaked his ankle at the end of the last game. Tom Thibodeau said it was just bumps and bruises, not a big deal. So hopefully they are uh, you know, monitoring his minutes in these preseason games uh, when things still don't matter as much. But like, you know, if we'd gone into preseason and this team looked, you know, clunky or like things weren't gelling, we wouldn't be panicking by any means. But we'd make note of it. We, You know, just the fact that things have looked – the offense has looked so good, so smooth through these first two preseason games that the ball movement, the player movement – like I I mentioned Obi Toppin, for example – he's just getting easier buckets because he's cutting and there's space in the lane. Like before um, the Knicks last season were 29th in the league in points scored off cuts and cuts are like where you get your easy buckets. You know what I mean? And and Obi Toppin in general is a great cutter, but he just didn't really get opportunities to do that last year. This year he's already had some and, and he's making the most of them. Um, He Toppin started in place of Randall who missed the last preseason game for personal reasons. I think I, read somewhere that um, he may have had, he and his wife may have had another child, which uh, if that's the case, congratulations to Julius Randall. Um, but Obi Toppin got the start in his stead and he looked good, man. Like he, he looks, he looks like he belongs on NBA floor, which is a lot more than we could say for much of his time last year. He looks much more comfortable out there. Uh, a couple times he just launched threes without hesitating and actually <laughs> knocked him down. He, um, I guess so far through two games, he's just uh, two of eight from behind the arc. But the two he's hit, uh, both look solid. And in general, like defensively, he also looks like he's kind of understanding more of Thibodeau's scheme. And he's just not it doesn't seem like he's gonna get played off the court quite so quite so easily this year. So I don't know, that's maybe too too much of an overreaction based on two preseason yeah. games, but either way, I'm just I've been much more impressed with the way Toppins looked.
1: Yeah, and also um, he had that, that big time move where he put the ball on the ground in the first game against the Pacers, and, you know, that's not the type of a thing we were used to last year with, uh, with him. He was more of a – more of a standstill shooter. Whether, whether or not he should have been was a, was a different question, but that's, that's what he did. But if he's got – it looks like he's much more capable of dribbling this year, which yes. is yeah. a nice change of pace
0: his handle looks so much tighter. And like you mentioned that move, it was like a between the legs going right to left. And then he spun it back going back towards his right. It was just like a, a very quick, you know, it wasn't like flashy necessarily, but he covered a lot of ground. It was decisive and like, it looked tough to stop. He's a big body to move, to be moving that quickly. And uh, yeah, like if, if you factor in kind of easy points that you should be getting in transition this year, to go along with just his more polished half-court game. I, I think Toppin can be a legitimate backup four so the team won't, like, flounder this year when Randall goes out. Granted, there are other ways to kind of stagger the scoring when you have all these guys like Kemba and Fournier who can, who can at times carry an offense. I mean, Derek Rose, obviously, too, last year did it, carry an offense themselves. There's just a lot more options for guys who can, who can pick up that burden when Randall sits. So hopefully Randall won't be playing you know, you're 37, 38 minutes per night. And, uh, and we can see more of, of guys like Toppin.
1: Yeah. And uh, you started mentioning that second unit. And the Knicks, one of their their strengths is, is their depth. This team is so deep. It's pretty pretty unbelievable. You know, we, we as we mentioned, Mitch and Noel both missed the first two games. Um, so they just started Taj Gibson. Who, who held his own and then be, had Jericho Sims playing as, as the backup center who, you know, he looks like a, a perfect backup center for now. And I'm, I'm not sure how this guy slipped to to 58th just based on athleticism alone. You don't see guys who are as tall as him, jumping as high as him.
0: Yeah, I mean, the anyway, fact that we have, really, like, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we have three centers on the roster. I mean, I guess Taj as well. We've But between Sims – Noel and Mitch Robinson and and Noel is like the worst rim runner of the group which is crazy because he's one of the better ones in the league but it's just the other two guys are so long and so springy it is it's just like it's astounding like Jericho Sims gets so high and he jumps he has a quick jump too he gets up in the air so quickly it's he's wild to watch I don't know if he's like you know, what can you say? Like he's played two preseason games. He probably doesn't know where to be on defense quite yet. Um, you know, I, I do feel like the defense is kind of hemorrhage points when he's yeah. been out there, but I'm not going to knock him for that. Like, it, it's not, Yeah. it's not a big deal, but I mean, we yeah, haven't, we're really
1: not, not yeah. Yeah. We're not ready to, to knock the, uh, the fourth drink center yet. Right. Um, so <laughs> we're we'll, not uh, doing that we're on not counting. On, <laughs> we're not counting him. We're not counting on him yet. We like what we see from him a lot. Um, you know, we think we'll develop into something uh, for sure but i mean the rest of that second unit like you were talking about we could go you know if you do the straight five on five off swap the full swap you'd get derrick rose quickly burks Toppin, and you know nerland's noel or, or mitch depending on, on availability and if you know one of those guys it's it's taj gibson so the, that second unit is just that's that's better than some starting lineups the Knicks have had in, in recent years.
0: No question. Yeah, that's that's an easy call. So uh, and, and it is funny, like because Randall missed uh, the last game, that meant top and started, that bumped Kevin Knox to the backup four spot. And he lit it up from three. I mean he looked he looked great. I think defensively he was still struggling, but in the first half I think he was like four or five from downtown and just looked so <laughs> the jumper looked so smooth. I'm not gonna sit here and talk myself into Kevin Knox. I don't even think he'll crack the rotation, especially because of his defensive liabilities. But, I mean, man, talk about it. his jumper looks so smooth. Um, and that was just kind of like everyone else was, was doing the same thing, like just letting it go from, from behind the arc. Alec Burks, like we mentioned, um, he's just like a you – know, last year we depended so much on Burks, especially even down the stretch. Remember, Burks would be like our crunch time guy in a lot of games. And now it's yeah, like he was the closing. He was the closer,
1: yeah. the closing point guard. Yeah.
0: And now it's like, is he even going to be on the floor in closing units? <laughs> Can there, how many guys would you rather have running the offense ahead of him at this point? It's, it's several. So it's just, uh, that, that just goes to show the, the level of depth the Knicks have added at this point.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, again, yeah. yeah Burks. Derek Rose still looks like Derek Rose of of the playoffs from last season when he was the finalist for for sixth man of the year. Um, he's he's found his the perfect niche for himself. Uh, where you know, hopefully now that we have Campbell and not Alfred Pagan, you're not going to force him to play um so many minutes. But with with Tibbs it's what what's interesting is he just likes to play his guys so many minutes. So with this, I'm, I doubt he's ever had a team as deep. So it'll be interesting to see how he staggers staggers these guys. And even if one or two guys get injured, there's, like you just mentioned, there's Kevin Knox and Taj Gibson. And neither of the two rookies that we drafted uh, have even really gotten substantial minutes. They got three minutes for McBride and two minutes for Grimes last game. So. Yeah, and that's that's something
0: that we'll want to talk about is just like, I mean, in past seasons, rookies with the potential of McBride and Grimes not getting minutes would have been like a sky is falling situation. I mean, we're in a completely different world here with the Knicks actually playing well, with actually having playoff aspirations and expectations. Um, You know, I wonder, do you have any issues with grimes and mcbride just riding the bench all season like would you like to see them play in the g league if they're not getting minutes at this level like wh- how where are you at with the rookies
1: yeah i think that's that's probably the right the right move just to get their get their bearings in the in the g league uh, i mean i'm sure like like we had with damian dotson uh when he was a rookie you know he could have a, a spot start here and there when he's when someone is injured, and you know we we get desperate, but they, we're definitely not depending on these guys. I think uh, next man up would be Knox before these guys, and then then these guys could could play eventually. But you know we're we're just not depending on them. They can they can play five minutes if if they want, but it's not important. It doesn't matter.
0: And I think that's definitely the case as long as the Knicks play well and and win games. Right. And so it's just like, I think a lot of experts are projecting that the Knicks will not be as successful this year in the regular season that, you know, it depends how you measure that granted the Knicks got the four seed last year. I don't necessarily expect the Knicks to get a top four seed in home court in the playoffs this year. It wouldn't absolutely shock me if they did. But I think that there's a world, and I think a lot of people have said this as well, where the Knicks could be a better team, better built for the playoffs, but still be a worse seed, you know what I mean? Um, And just like they would have a higher potential, they'd be able to kind of have a higher ceiling come come the postseason, but maybe uh, not quite as much regular season success. Um, I don't know. How how do you feel about that?
1: No, I think that's right. I mean – well, we've we've seen a lot of the other teams coming together. Like, I, I think that the Hawks proved that they're clearly better than the Knicks, and they were the fifth seed. So, we'll we'll see what happens in Philadelphia. Um, you have the Nets are the clear number one in this conference, and then the Bucks. Then it's it's a it's a hodgepodge of you know the Celtics, uh, the Bulls are are we got Levine and DeRozan and. Alonzo. so they're they're all making their moves. So I think the goal for this year for me is really to stay in the top in the top six outside of the play in tournament. So that's a, I I think that's a good goal to strive for. Uh, I think there's just right. a lot better yeah. there's a lot better teams in the East now. Um and you know, you got a young core like the the Hawks making their move. So I think and they'll have a full season with Nate McMillan rather than uh whoever was doing a terrible job before him. Yeah. Oh, and the heat, the Miami heat got a uh, Kyle Lowry. So there's just, everybody in the East made their move.
0: Including well, okay. the Knicks with, yeah. with the
1: guys they brought in. So it's going to be competitive. Uh, but you know, if the Knicks, Knicks are the type of team that didn't give away any, any easy wins and that's how they, they got where they were uh, last season. That's how they got to the seed. So. You know, if as long as you're playing hard every single night, you can definitely outperform expectations again. And that's what Tibbs does. He just makes uh, teams like the the Chicago Bulls be the number one seed over the LeBron James Miami Heat, you know.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, defensive scheme, defensive intensity. Um, Last year, the Knicks were a top four defense in the league, I think, um, as a team. And then, you know, some of the concern has been, you know, Kemba Walker is on certainly on paper a downgrade defensively from Alfred Payton. Um, though I think there are plenty of clips and breakdowns going around that kind of show Payton may have been uh, a little overrated on the defensive end, but I, I think it is safe to say Kemba's just smaller and, and I think he is more easily picked on from that perspective. So, yeah, Kemba is uh ostensibly a downgrade from Alfred Payton defensively, and then Fournier is a downgrade defensively from Bullock. That kind of bumps RJ Barrett into the role of defending the other team's best wing, which is a role he hasn't had to play yet. So there are some legit concerns about the Knicks defense. Um, I think think none of it will really matter as long as you have Noel and Mitch healthy as those defensive anchors because they are just so strong protecting the rim. Um, And then you kind of like erase a lot of the other – Issues with just the pure effort and the you know this this team just flies around. They close out on three-point shooters so hard. They have the luxury when their guys are healthy to know that they have guys who are going to erase those mistakes. When you know if someone's going to throw a pump fake and drive the lane, they're going to have to meet Mitch or Nerlens at the rim, and uh, or, or have to pull up and take a take a tough mid ranger. So, you know, the, I think the Knicks defense is still built to be a like call it top six, top eight defense and a lot of that just has to do with thibs.
1: yeah and uh we're all very much willing to make the the trade-off on offense for for alfred payton uh, you know it's an addition by subtraction with alfred payton he's not on the team anymore so we don't have to pretend to be nice i think we were we were nicer than most to alfred because we're nice guys but now that he's gone, we wish him the best, but we, I did not enjoy watching him play basketball.
0: It was hard. It was hard to continue to <laughs> – like, you have to root for him. But –
1: Yeah. Like, it,
0: it was – it made it tough. Um, he was just so, so bad, such a detriment, really on both sides of the ball. So, I think that just the fact that Kemba can come in. And already, like, like I said, the offense has just looked so much crisper. Just – there's a lot more energy – The ball moves, players move. It it just looks, you know, last year the Knicks, for as surprising their their offense was, like because they hit so many of these, We mentioned with Randall, those contested mid-rangers, they were an ISO heavy offense, you know, And, and this year maybe they still will revert to some of the isolation ball, but through two games of the preseason, they are looking like there's just a lot more movement. So hopefully that sustains. Into the regular season. Um, it's just so much more entertaining to watch. It's really wild. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm genuinely excited to see what this group can do. Um, I uh, October 20th, It's 10 days from now, man, the, the game starts to count. I can't wait.
1: Yeah, me, me neither. And so one question I have for you. I don't know if you have any sort of answer what's up with Mitchell Robinson? Do you think he's going to play basketball at any at any point? He's just we just keep hearing that he's injured. You know, it's I think, think like a yeah, like a month ago, we had an update that he wasn't cleared for basketball activities yet. And I think we'd all assume that he had already been cleared like three months before that, but I just don't know what what he's up to.
0: Yeah, the, the latest I'm seeing was three days ago, Empire Sports Media, uh, Alder Almo, up uh, uh, he had an update saying Mitchell Robinson cleared for some contact. Yeah, that's not hugely encouraging that it's been this long, you know, that there was a pretty long offseason. Um, the article here says it's been more than six months since he underwent surgery. Uh, the fact that it's been six months, and he still hasn't been cleared for full contact. It's it's a little concerning. It is concerning. Um
1: Especially if, and that could be part of the, that, that could be part of the reason why they gave Noel the deal that they gave him, you know, he got a, a healthy chunk of change for a backup center, you know, he earned it, but also, you know, there's a lot of backup centers out there who, are, who aren't getting that much money.
0: Yeah, I think there's a good, a good chance that that's the case that, you know, they've been monitoring Mitchell's um, progress and maybe it wasn't kind of what they're what they'd hoped for. So, um, you know, there, there's still no specific timeline for when Mitch is going to come back. And, you know, this is a guy with a significant injury history. It's a guy who I think they – I mean, they keep showing all these pictures of him, how much he's bulked up. Um, Mitch Robinson himself said that's a combination of muscle and fat. I don't know if you saw that quote from him. I was like, no, I mean, that, that's fine. I guess that is how weight is gained typically. Um, it's just funny you don't hear a lot of players say that they gain fat but um, yeah. you know, I, I think the some numbers show he's gained like is seventy pounds. It, it, it was something ridiculous. Um, the amount of yeah, weight I mean,
1: he looks he looks big. Looks he's he looks much thicker than he he ever had before, especially when he first came into the league. Uh, maybe, but he was he was too skinny at that point. So you know, I think yeah, that's. So-
0: I'm looking here. Mitch says he's gained 60 pounds since coming into the NBA. I mean, I don't know how good that is on your joints to like, you know, in two and a half years, balloon 60 pounds, even if it is muscle, like, you know, that can be a little, a little bit of a strain on the body. Right. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's a totally fair question. And I think, you know, Nerlens Noel proved last year that he was up to the task as a, as a starter. So there's some insurance there, like you said, so I, you know, I'm not too worried about it, but there's no question that like the, the Knicks ceiling is raised a great deal. When you have Mitchell Robinson who, you know, he, he's just straight up better than New Orleans Noel. Maybe Noel was better at some things like defensive positioning. Um, but Mitchell Robinson is a, he's really is a better rebounder. He's a much better offensive player with his hands. He goes up and catches the ball. At its peak, he throws it down. Just he's a lot stronger than Nerlens Noel. He can't get pushed around. He's just and then defensively, like he just is what two, three inches taller, has uh, a longer yeah. wingspan, and he just jumps higher. So like overall, any like skill that Nerlens Noel has, the edge over Mitch. Like Mitch makes up for that more than makes up for it with his just pure size and athleticism.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, we don't. We've we've talked about the depth of Knicks. We don't we're not in a rush to to get him back. some as soon as he's ready, we'll be we'll be happy to have him back, uh, whenever that may be. But we have the we have the the guys to to hold down the fort until that time comes. I know we we went through a long stretch to close out the season and lock up the four seed without Mitchell Robinson. So I think we'll be we'll be all right.
0: I think so too. um yeah I don't know how much, how far you want to go as uh in terms of preseason predictions um I think next week we'll probably hopefully have some some more of the guys on and we can talk more about kind of where how many wins we expect this team to have probably do even do some like over unders as far as like points per game um, but if there were one player that you were looking at this year to kind of like whether it's breakout or, or impress you or, I mean, we already know kind of what Julius Randall is capable of, so it's probably not him. But between some of the other guys, is there someone you're kind of keeping an eye on this year as maybe kind of a, a wild card or, or a dark horse for, for who could be the, a big difference maker?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think there's, there's two. I think uh, we both would agree on who the two are. You know, it'd be RJ Barrett, who made that huge jump last year become, you know, a knockdown three-point shooter. And it seems as though he could still shoot based on the, the two preseason games. and uh, If he he's, he's, he's already strong, you know, he, he just needs to be able to be a better defender. and But the thing is, you could see him being a 20-point-per-game scorer maybe if you didn't add Fournier and Kemba, and if this was the same team, you still had Bullock and Payton. But, you know, now I feel like you're looking for, you know, I don't know what he averaged last year, probably around 15 or 16. And uh, you're looking for the, probably those those same numbers, but more efficient. 17.6 is what he averaged. So I guess you're looking for around 18 on, on more efficient shooting and, and numbers and may not even average 17.6. There's just so many guys, but just being able to see him, well, more definitively, be in the the closing lineup. I know we mentioned earlier that a lot of the time, Burks became the the closer, and you know you would see RJ on the bench. And it's not all not all fourth quarters, but some. And so you know, when it's your hopefully second best player, um, you'd like him to be in firmly into in the game in the in the end of it to close out teams.
0: Yeah, I just quick on RJ. I think that's a good point. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily expect him to increase his points per game average. Um, I I think that shot attempts may be harder to come across, but like you said, I I think that it'll probably stay fairly consistent. I I think um, he should be more efficient. Last year he shot on two pointers. He shot 45.7% on twos. I mean, you would just love to see that get closer to 50% on twos, right? I mean, he is so strong. He does get downhill. He gets to the rim a lot, um, and he struggled when he got there last year. I think if this year he could, he could bump those numbers up. And he actually took fewer free throw attempts per game last year than he did his rookie year. Granted, he made a much better percentage his sophomore season, but um, I would like to see free throws attempted trend back up in the right direction. Uh, last year he averaged just under four free throw attempts per game. You'd really like to see that closer to to five, six, because he's that physical of a player. He's that strong. He gets downhill and into the paint enough that that shouldn't be too big of an ask. I think that Knicks fans would argue that RJ was, you know, he was kind of not given the benefit of the doubt from a lot of whistles last year. And maybe as he earns more respect from officials, that, that may change, but either way, um, I think that sometimes it was fair. Like, he was a little out of control. He didn't really uh, give a good attempt at the rim a lot of times. So I think this year, as his, his skills improve, as his handle improves, and he's able to kind of just, you know, take cleaner looks at the rim, use that strength even more, uh, that, that hopefully those, those free throw attempts will take up as well.
1: And, you know, you're going to have, have him get in a much better matchup a lot of the time because you don't know no. You you need to guard Fournier and Kemba, who have both shown that they can average twenty points per game in the NBA. So
0: good point, and just a quick counterpoint to it is that as we mentioned earlier, he will now be the one defending the other yeah. team's best player. So that will also take take some of his energy and take take a toll on him as well. So you just have to manage your expectations. He's still he's still just twenty-one years old. Um, so he's he's still so young and we just still have all these really high expectations of him. And I think all these lists and everything that left him off of the, whatever it was top 100 or 30 under 30. I don't even know what these lists were, but I think, I think to a T they left, they were disrespectful to RJ Barrett and uh, he clocks that he definitely uses that as motivation. And he's the kind of guy who seems to have that mentality where he uses that chip on his shoulder. He puts in the work. um, And so it'll be exciting to see him. Continue to get better. However, it manifests this year. You know what I mean? Who who knows? You know, in his second year, it was that three point shooting. It it might be something entirely different this year. Who knows?
1: Yep, yeah, definitely. No, I think the other guy, who's our obvious uh, hope for a, a step up, is is quickly. Yeah. Uh, those are our two young guys that we have a uh, big stock, and that you know, the Frank Nealakina era is over, and the Kevin Knox experiment is is hanging out in uh, in behind glass in case of emergency to, right. to quote a, a close friend uh, but quickly you know i think there were some twitter threads of you know his point guard ability in this this last game so he's been dishing it well he had four assists i think you know seven assists against the pacers in the first game and then another amount of assists that i don't have up right now but you know, seven assists from Quickly off the bench in twenty-one minutes. I mean, that's great. and You know, he went oh for four from three in that game, but we we trust Quickly's three-point shooting. He's that's what he is. He's a knockdown shooter from well beyond the arc, if if need be. So, yeah, man, what quick, he's quick, gonna you, be able
0: to do. I know he talked a lot about improving his handle in the offseason, and that is going to be huge for him. You know, I think it was that lack of confidence in his handle last year that led to a lot of those floaters, which he became well-known for. But he was shooting those – first of all, those are hard shots, regardless of how good he was at them. Um, At times, he was quite good. Other times, he did go have long, cold stretches because those are hard shots. And a lot of times, he was taking them out of necessity because he didn't have the handle to get himself to the rim um, he didn't have enough confidence in his handle. to, to be able to shake guys and, and get another step or two closer to the rim. So he had to kind of launch those floaters. And I could see this year, I mean, I, already in that first preseason game, he had kind of like a Steve Nash-esque scoop layup, which I don't remember really seeing at all last year from him. You know, he was taking all those, those floaters with the ball sort of at his ear or in front of his face. <laughs> this, this layup he took in the first game, the, the ball, the, shot like originated from his hip you know what I mean like Steve Nash used to do so that was just something new I I don't remember really seeing that and I'm expecting to see more stuff like that because he does that the handle looks tighter he looks more confident he says he's gotten stronger um so all those things are are good signs and it does point to point to some potentially good things from quickly
1: yeah, and he had three assists in that second game and shot three for five from three so that was more of a more of the quickly of old which was which was good to see but one thing about quickly is that he was big into the, like the the trey young foul drawing uh last year and that he may be affected by the or he'll definitely be affected by the rule changes that say mm-hmm. that that's not a foul anymore or that's an offensive foul i don't know if it's coming to play yet but He's gonna to have to adjust his game, but you know, I, th- I would say last year was the only year that he was doing that because you know, high school and college—that's the rules aren't aren't the same. You're not doing that to people exclusively, so it shouldn't be too big of an adjustment. But that was a, a tricky thing he had up his sleeve, and kind of, he's gonna he's gonna have to figure out a new uh, a new trick to to get an advantage.
0: It's true, and, and he actually, he benefited less than I think than maybe people's memories would indicate because maybe you'll remember last year so many of those fouls that he drew were on the floor right so like it would just be a dead ball and and yeah that would lead to sometimes one and one sometimes like yeah sometimes you would get the get the opposing team in the bonus um earlier in the clock so that like it would help the team but there were a lot of times where he wouldn't be the beneficiary like going to the free throw line because these fouls he drew he drew so many of them as non-shooting fouls. Um, yeah, some of that was, again, kind of a respect thing. He was a rookie, so he maybe Chris Paul, if he'd done the same thing, would have been getting those as shooting fouls, but quickly wasn't quite earning those last year. But he was getting whistles, no, no question about that. So um, he's such a smart player, such a cerebral player, that I think he will adjust very quickly, very fastly to, <laughs> to the uh, the rule of changes. I'm not worried about that for him.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's pretty good. I think we've, we've covered a lot of the team. Is there anything else we need to touch on on these guys, especially knowing that we have a season preview next weekend, I assume?
0: Yeah, well, I, I don't think we have uh, too much more to add here. I think we've got a couple more preseason games before the first one. Um, we can talk about those next week, but uh, I, think, I think we're good on Nick's talk if you want to do everyone's favorite segment now.
1: Yeah, everyone's favorite sub podcast. Absolutely, we've had a long, long off season, so I'm sure everybody's wondering what else is on. I'm sure we we can provide a slew of recommendations. I've I've been watched a, a fair amount of stuff in in the time it's taken to to record this podcast, but I'll I'll let you I'll let you start us off with what else is on. What else is on at your house, Tom?
0: Yeah. So we we've been really going hard on, on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, It wasn't a show that we'd really watched much before. Uh, I feel like we have talked about it on this show prior. Yeah, Kenny's a
1: big – Kenny's a fan.
0: It's just good comedy. It's just good. I mean –
1: Yeah, I lived with your brother. He was a big fan as well.
0: Yeah, I know we used to talk about Superstore a lot and how much – I was basically just, like, really impressed that a network comedy could be so, like, funny and, you know, original – and, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine is proven that that's still very much possible, that you can still develop these great characters. And, and just, I think it's, it's straight up funnier than Superstore, um, just as far as just joke telling. They just, there's so many jokes yeah. packed into these episodes. Um, so I mean, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is definitely something I wanted to call out, but the show that you and I have been talking about the most kind of offline is only murders in the building. On Hulu do you want to talk about that show
1: yeah I mean you got you got me big into this one big fan of this show um, sort of a murder mystery or most definitely a murder mystery uh, you know some of the most star power of any TV show you'll you'll find out right now you know Steve Martin Martin Short and Selena Gomez uh, someone gets killed in their building and they start a podcast to, to try to figure out who, who done it Yeah, they are
0: all like murder mystery podcast listeners. Like they are just, you know, obsessed with basically a serial-like murder mystery podcast. Tina Fey plays basically Sarah Koenig. Even her name is super similar to Sarah Koenig. Um, And that's kind of the the role she plays. But um, like it it is just, I don't know, Greg, do do you listen to murder podcasts at all? I do not. I don't really either much anymore. I did used to, but they've just like become so they're, they're everywhere at this point. And I don't know, there's something about them that's kind of ghoulish. And I get into that in this where it's just like, should you really, these are real people we're talking about. (laughs) Like, this is not just for your entertainment. Um, Like real people are dying in these podcasts, but you know, I did what I did. uh, Listen to serial uh, the first season, which was, some of the best radio I'd ever heard up to that point. Like I was really impressed by it. Um, up and vanished season one I listened to as well. And like there's just a couple, and and you just kind of can tell that Only Murders in the Building, this Hulu show, has listened to almost all of these, right? And they're just taking their cues from them and and kind of making fun of them and like lampooning them, but at the same time having a compelling murder mystery with clues and everything going on at the same time so it's making fun of kind of what it is at the same time it's just really smart and really fun
1: yeah indeed so i mean i, I also second season's head lasso just lasso, lasso just ended I'd, uh, i uh i've been watched it got myself fully caught up your recommendations were all were all right the first season was uh was top tier television that the second season, they, uh, they just tried to make you as sad as they could, I think. And, you know, they mission accomplished. Uh, <laughs> there was the last season, the first season was funny with, with serious stuff spruced in spru- or pinched in every now and then. And the second season seemed like the reverse where it was more serious with humor every now and then. So still a good show but they just went in a completely different direction in my mind.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Like the, that first season was, it was some of the best, you know, TV you're going to watch, like, especially given the timing of it. It was mid pandemic, like prime pandemic when everyone was like kind of at home and everyone was sort of like sick and tired of all the the news and everything. And Ted Lasso came in and it was just a very uplifting Heartwarming tale with some, some, you know, kind of bittersweet undertones, but by and large, it was just you were won over by this character who was just a genuine, you know, not a, a hurtful, mean, ironic bone in his body. He was just a very earnest person. And you don't get a lot of that on TV. You get a lot of these anti heroes. You don't really almost the whole time you're kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, all right, what did this guy do? Like, what's his, no, like you have to kind of let your guard down with that first season of Ted Lasso. The second season starts out with a dog dying and just kind of gets sadder from there. <laughs> it's just like, I was like, I actually haven't caught up on it. I'm probably only just halfway through season two. Cause I didn't really have the appetite. Not that I can't watch like sad shows. I'm I'm totally fine to watch like, downer shows sometimes but not necessarily in my comedies you know (laughs) it was was just season one struck such a good healthy balance that I think they really struggled to find in season two or they just kind of misidentified what people liked about season one like season one people liked that there was that mix of like oh they hit you with that emotion in the middle of this hilarious show and that balance was just kind of all off like you said in season two
1: yeah still a good show, though, so. Now, the the second season's over, so now I can take a break from it. And uh, I, I recently found that, it was shown that The Life and Times of Tim is, is on HBO Max, which is, you know, I've been searching for this show for, for years. Um, I guess it's one of the few shows that HBO, like, aired, but they didn't own the rights to, so that's why it was never on, and now... They gave uh, your brother Dave told us there's a new a new show by the same guy which is basically the same premise. It's called like Ten Year Old Tom, and it's basically like The Life and Times of Tim, but he's ten years old instead of you know 25. And so I've I've just been it's a good show to just put on and just die laughing about the ridiculousness and how how awkward everything is.
0: Man, Life and Times of Tim came out at the right time when we were younger. And it was just like, it was such a formative show. Like so many of those lines we still quote to this yeah. day. It was just, Tim just could never catch a break, always <laughs> found himself in the wrong place, the wrong time, saying the wrong thing, foot in his yeah. mouth. It is a, that's just a cartoon that like, you know, they don't put any effort into making it look good and it doesn't matter. It is just like, yeah. the content is so just prime. And so uh yeah, I I actually haven't caught 10 year old Tom yet, but I'm definitely going to put on the list.
1: So the uh I was reading about uh the life of Times with Tim and how it came to be. And so I guess that guy Steve dildarian uh just decided he wanted to like make it get into like graphic designer or, or animation. And so he they made like a a 5 minute short him and some woman. And then basically because he didn't have any skills that's why it looks like that and like they they made it to a like a a festival and they won it and so from there it just became a an actual show
0: that's great man. so he just wasn't
1: he wasn't he wasn't an animator he just made a an animated show and he continued to not be an animator
0: yeah and they didn't need it they didn't miss it
1: then the last thing I've been watching right now is, is Squid Game. I finished it. Squid Game is nuts, is what I would say.
0: <laughs> I've only seen the first episode, literally just episode one. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I will second that. It is – I mean, I, I, I said episode one, like, cranks it to ten right away, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know yeah. where you go from there. Like, how do you go – how do you build on episode one? I don't know. Like it, it, to me, it seemed kind of like a black mirror episode where it's just a one-off thing. And then you do the one hour episode and then it's over and you don't revisit it. But yeah. I guess, I guess I should revisit it. Do, do you recommend like that? I, I go ahead and finish it.
1: No, that's great. I would yeah. say like, so there's nine episodes. I think the first eight are great. The ninth one is, is all right. Um, uh, I well, don't like like the the ending ending. I don't love, but the uh, basically it gets you through the games. Everything that ends to the end of the games is 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 phenomenal, and then they do like the the aftermath episode, which is episode nine. It's like okay, I don't. We could have just ended it on the last one.
0: So are they going to do another season? I mean, they must, right? It made so much money. It's like the most watched streamed show of all time at this point.
1: Yeah, I would I would guess they're going to to do another season. They left the 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 door open.
0: Okay, then, then it's happening. That's happening. You yeah. don't leave that kind of money on the table. But uh, yeah, I, I'm sure I will continue to watch it. Um, probably slowly but surely, um, yeah. get through it. But it's always good to have like a Brooklyn Nine Nine kind of palate cleanser after a. Those shows are intense. Those, those yeah, it was, shows are it, was heavy. it was
1: it was nuts. And the one thing is it's eventually in like the fifth or sixth episode they have some like Americans uh just speak in English and it's 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 just funny to see what the what the world thinks of Americans because it's very it's bad acting by American standards but it's just like I was reading on the message board it's like whenever this is what it's like when you're watching an American show and they speak a foreign language this is how how bad it is yeah really? and it's like, oh, <laughs> that's like yeah that makes sense <laughs> That makes sense
0: yeah, so I don't want to spoil anything for only murders in the building, but um, I think once that show wraps up, I think there's one or two more episodes left in the season we yeah. should uh we should talk about it and, and we should do just spoilers just people yeah but uh yeah we'll we'll put a pin in that and, and talk about it in greater length in the future
1: I'm up for it I think that this would be a great podcast we had a great sub podcast we'll keep watching the next we'll keep watching other stuff but in the meantime you know 10 days till the regular season starts two preseason games left love this team love what we're seeing so far gonna be a big year uh mm-hmm. we can't wait to to watch them with you and have you listen wrong listen along tweet us questions we'd love to talk to you and hey tom let's go next you say.